Do it. So if you have your Bible, uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the back table, and there's also one on your phone. If you want to open up the YouVersion Bible app, you can download that, and you can turn to Mark. And um, what we did is we went through First Peter uh, for the last few months, and at the very end of First Peter, there's this conversation or this like farewell, goodbye kind of conversation that happens, and what Peter says is, uh, Mark says hi, basically, to all these churches that he's writing to. And um, so we thought it'd be cool to see these interconnected relationships that you see between the disciples, between um, these early church fathers, um, and how that begins to play out. And now we see Mark writing this gospel as a result of conversations and his relationship with the disciples. Um, and because he wasn't one of them, he wasn't one of the 12, um, but he was deeply connected. Uh, as we mentioned last week, if you want to go back and listen, there's a bit of a, a setup for all of the we talk about when we go into this gospel. Um, but he writes out of a wealth of knowledge, basically trying to communicate this beautiful gospel. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So um, the very first few verses that we read last week, he quotes Isaiah and he says, prepare the way for the Lord. And what I asked you guys last week was that we would come into this gospel with fresh eyes. Because some of you have probably read this gospel before. Some of you read scripture a lot before. Um, Some of you are totally new to it. So those of you that are totally new to it, you're already on board. But those of you that have read it before and have dug into it and been like, I kind of know these things. I have a theology. I have an understanding of what I think God's doing and what he's about. I would say, come at this with an open heart, with a prepared heart, expecting something fresh and new. Um, Because I believe that as we read through this gospel, you'll start to see maybe new things, and maybe it'll start to shape your understanding of who Jesus is in a fresh way. And, um, And so I would say, watch how the early church is connected. Watch how they began to understand who Jesus is as we go through this gospel, all right? So let me pray, and then we're going to read Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 15. It'll be on the screen as well. So, Lord, we love you. We're grateful for time to come together and study your word. Um, We believe that it shapes us. We believe that it can be challenging, that it can be foreign at times to the way that we live. But, Lord, we know that it's ultimately good, and we recognize that uh, Mark's life was completely shaped by this beautiful message that is in you, Jesus. And so help us to hear this message. Help us to uh, see with fresh eyes and hear uh, with an open heart as we study this morning. In your name, amen. All right, so starting out in verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing, this is key, he starts to describe this. He says, made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He's eating bugs and wild honey. Mark's trying to tell us he's different, basically. He's not your typical dude, okay? Um, He's got prophet written all over him. There's something separate, unique about this guy. And he's bringing this message. So this is the message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
Okay. Going on in verse 9. So this is like the introduction to John. Here it goes, and then it goes into Jesus. At, the time, at that time, Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The voice of God recognizing Jesus, Son of God. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals, and the angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. And here's the like thesis statement. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Okay. It seems very fast-moving, fast-paced, and very kind of discombobulated when you read these, at least chapter one, and pretty much all of Mark. Because what he does is, I'm going to give you an overview here in a second from the Bible Project, but what he does is he's like, let's talk about who Jesus is, and let's talk about the highlights and this like major narrative of who he is and what he's about, okay? So what I want to do is I want to show you this, um, this little two-minute video. It basically, the Bible Project, maybe you're familiar with that. I've shown some videos before, but they give a beautiful overview to give you some context of where we're going and what we're doing here and what Mark is trying to do in this, all right? So check this out. According to Mark, it's one of the first accounts of the life of Jesus, and our earliest historical traditions link this book to a Christian scribe named Mark, or John Mark. He was a co-worker with Paul and a close partner with Peter. And in fact, an ancient church historian named Papias, he recalls that Mark had collected all of the eyewitness accounts and memories of Peter and then shaped them into this account. But Mark didn't just randomly throw the pieces together. He's carefully designed the story of Jesus. In the first line of the book, Mark makes this claim about Jesus. It's the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, what's interesting is that this is the only time Mark is going to tell you what he thinks. For the rest of the book, he's going to influence you by simply putting Jesus' actions and words in front of you and showing you how other people react to him. Now, Mark's designed the story of Jesus as a drama with three acts. The first one set in Galilee, the third one is set in Jerusalem, and the second act shows Jesus on the way from one place to the other. And each of the acts focuses on repeated theme. So in Act 1, everybody's blown away by Jesus, and they're wondering, who is this Jesus? In Act 2, it's the disciples who are struggling to understand what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. And then in Act 3, we watch the surprising paradox of how Jesus becomes the Messianic King. Let's just dive in, and you'll see how it unfolds. After the opening line, Mark begins with a quotation from the ancient prophets Isaiah and Malachi, who said that God would send a messenger to Israel to prepare them for when God would show up himself to rescue his people and become their king. And Mark introduces John, the Baptist, as that messenger. And then right when you expect God to show up personally, Mark introduces Jesus. And as he comes onto the scene, the heavens open, God's spirit descends on Jesus, and God says, you are my beloved son. After this, Mark places in front of us a summary of Jesus' core message. He went about Galilee announcing the good news that God's kingdom has come near. 
Jesus is carrying forward the story from the Old Testament scriptures about God's rescue operation for his world. Through Jesus, God is restoring his reign over the world by confronting and defeating evil and its hold on people's lives, and then by inviting them to live under his reign by following Jesus. And you start to see that Mark isn't about detail as much as he is the bigger narrative, right? And so what we see here is the beginning of Mark is actually a reference all the way back to Genesis. And if you've read Genesis, um, you'll, this will start to make some clarity. And if you haven't, I would say go back and read just Genesis 1, 2, and 3 um, sometime this week, and you'll start to see some connections. But what Mark starts to do here is really bring about this, like, there's a bigger story that's been going on for a really long time, and here's how this like restoration process is really going to just fast forward. It's going to really take place in a really beautiful, powerful way. And so when John comes on the scene, he's like talking about like there's this beautiful thing that's going to happen, right? And then Jesus gets baptized, and what is the response that we see from God? The response that you see from God as Jesus is baptized, like it says, something like a dove comes down, right? And a dove, dove represents peace. It represents shalom. That would be a term, if you've heard that term before, that like idea of restored relationship or actually relationship as it was originally intended, right? So when he talks about peace, a dove coming down, it's like this recognition all the way back to the garden of what the way things were made, meant to be the way that God originally intended it to be. Um, right relationship with each other, right relationship with God, and you start to see this affirmation. This is my son with him, I'm well pleased. And in the creation story, you hear over and over, God creates and it is good. God creates and is good. God creates mankind and it is good, Right? It doesn't start with God creates and everything was bad and or everything went south and everything was bad and evil. It was good. It was intended to be good in a certain way. That's where that shalom existed, the Garden of Eden. And then you see in chapter 3 a fall. That's where things go wrong, right? But up until then, it's all, it's good. It's the way that God intended it to be, the right relationship. And so... We have to pause for a second and say, this restoration project as it's unfolding here, this is the original message. This is the message that you see as you go through all these pages in the Old Testament. All of that is leading up to this moment. And it's all been this process of God saying, you're my people. I'm going to set you apart. You're going to be unique set apart to be a blessing to the nations, a blessing to people. The way that you live, the way that you treat people is going to be unique. And hopefully people will start to see that. You're always going to be this blessing. And people have always been given that choice. Follow God or do your own thing, right? And so this restoration project comes in where it's God saying, I'm not going to force my way on you, but I'm going to demonstrate this. I'm going to show you what the good life looks like what it looks like to be in this restored relationship the way it was intended to be. Um, and ultimately what he says, and maybe this is like a moment where we just need to pause, ultimately he says to us the same thing. You are my son, or maybe daughter. With you I'm well pleased. This is the message that Jesus brings to all of us, right? 
that the heart of God for Jesus is, this is good. I love you. I care for you deeply. And then you see Jesus living this out and going and bringing this message of good news, which we're going to unpack here in a little bit, of you are loved. With you, I'm well pleased. Like, I care about you, right? And maybe you need that reminder today that that is the message that God brings to us. Um, Maybe you've never heard that before, but like as you sit here, not based on what you've done or haven't done or any evil that you've done or wrong that you've done, it's I love you as you are and with you I'm well pleased. And I know that like I don't want to project like what God's saying and how he's affirming who Jesus is, but that is the message that Jesus then takes on and he's almost the conduit of that and says, no, this is the same thing. Like the father loves me and I do his will and I want, to, I want you to experience it as well. Like he's the tangible flesh and blood living out what that love of God looks like. So maybe you need to hear that and I hope that maybe you're reminded of that today or maybe that um, you hear that for the first time that God loves you, he cares for you deeply. Um, and then after that, you see that he's baptized, um, and, which symbolizes being born of the Holy Spirit, right, it says. And then Jesus makes this mission statement at the end. The kingdom of God, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And so we'll break this into two chunks. The kingdom of God has come near, because that's already a little kind of mysterious and weird, and you're like, what is that all about? What is his kingdom? Is he a king? Is there, like, going to be a castle? Like, what's happening with that? So the kingdom of God has come near. So what the kingdom of God is, and it's very difficult to fully nail down into, like, one sentence, right? Um, But let me give you a few descriptors here so you can start to go, okay, now i got kind of an idea. Um, The kingdom of God is the realm where God does what he wants to do, right? And tied into that is also this idea that God will never force his will on others. But it is where God wants to do his will, right? And so we have a choice, and this is where that option comes in, of we can choose the path that we want to choose in life. We can choose the path that God wants for us. We can choose his kingdom, his ways, his will for our lives, or we can choose our own way. And he never will force you to do one, right? He'll never force you to do that life of uh, kingdom life with him. But he says, this is available. It's here. It's fully available. You can live into it, or you can do your own thing. Um, The best way I've heard uh, kingdom described was uh, your wallet, right? So take out your wallet or your phone. And if I said, can I take your phone right now? Or can I take your wallet? And I just started taking out money and put it into my pocket, what would you do? You'd be like, wait, that's my money. Why are you taking my money? That's your kingdom. That's, what you, that's where you have say over what you do, right? Your phone. If I open up your phone and I take it and I start scrolling through your messages and I start looking at your Instagram, your Facebook, whatever it is, your emails, you'd kind of be creeped out, right? <laughs> you'd be like, what's up with that? That's your kingdom. You get to choose what you put on there. You get to choose what you do. You have your will. When we choose to be part of God's kingdom, we start to do his will and and do things his way. And that's where I can leave my phone there and be okay with it. And if Peyton wants to pick it up and look through it, I'm totally okay with it because I'm trying my best to do God's will and be in his kingdom and not about my ways because if my ways are somewhere in there, then it's probably not very good, right? Um, 
but I can hopefully trust that he can pick it up and look through there and go, okay, these are all things that God would be okay with, right? He'd be cool with these things. So that's kingdom. That's the best way to describe it. When I was doing youth ministry, it was like how you put posters on your wall. That's your kingdom. You get to choose what you put on your wall and how you design your room as a kid, right? Those are all ways that we get to define our kingdoms. But when we start to follow Jesus, he says, I want you to be part of my kingdom and the way that we do things. It doesn't mean you don't put posters on your wall anymore, but it's just you start to care about the things that God cares about. And you start to make him a priority in all that you're doing. And so when he says, the kingdom of God has come near, what he's saying is, it's all around us. You get to participate in it. You get to be part of this. You get to choose, am I going to be my kingdom any, any longer, or am I going to be part of God's kingdom and live completely centered in that? And so he makes this really bold mission statement, this thesis statement of where he's going with all the following chapters of the kingdom of God has come, it's near. And then he says this second part. Wait, let me make sure I don't skip over some stuff. Oh, I did. Okay. Let's take it further. So Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. I think I threw this in there. There's like a few of them. Yep. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in what? heaven, as it is in your kingdom. So where's that from? Anybody know? Uh, yeah, Lord's Prayer. So we know about that one, and that's how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. When they were like, how do we pray? He said, be about my kingdom. He said, your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Like, as it is in your realm, we want it here among us. It's near all around us, and we get to participate. So what he says is, your kingdom come your will be done. And that's us living out. It's doing, right? The kingdom of God. So then um, it goes on, and he, this is only a small list, but if you want to dig into this, like just Google Jesus's parables on kingdom, and you'll have a really fun read, okay? And it'll be awesome because you'll go all over the place. It'll be story after story after story of him going, the kingdom of God is like this, because it's really hard to describe. The same way, like you're probably hearing this maybe for the first time going, what's the kingdom all about? a mustard seed that grows beyond like our understanding. Like it grows like crazy. He starts to use this illustration of a farmer planting a crop. Whether he waters it, whether he, whether he stresses out about the plant, it starts to grow and do its thing. Like God just moves whether we try or don't try, right? A hidden treasure, a pearl of great price, that it's something really valuable. Um, like yeast in a bread that it just takes over life and begins to be this very like delicious, tasty thing, okay? Uh, I love bread. Uh, but it goes on, and he just uses all these stories and, and little, like, interactions between people of what the kingdom of God looks like and how we begin to live into it. And so that's just a little side thing I would say. Research that. I don't have time to dig into them all, but I would say do it sometime this week. It's, it's really fun. Um, and then Colossians 1.13. So this is Paul talking about the kingdom because this, I don't want to just say this is like a Jesus thing that he did. This is like he taught his disciples and other people started to see it and it was all throughout scripture as we start to see it unfold. And he says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption. Redemption, that redemption process, right? Of being made new, the forgiveness of sins, Okay. And when he says the forgiveness of sins, he's basically saying, you choosing your own way that you think is so good, he's like, turn from that way and begin to be part of this way that is good, that is life-giving, that is transformative to life and how you live and how you interact with other people. So that's the kingdom of God has come near. And then the second part of his 
thesis statement here is repent and believe the good news. That's not with a bullhorn yelling at you like, repent, you're wrong. You've got to do some stuff, okay? Let's unpack that. So he says, basically the word repent is doing a 180. It's changing again. It's from like my kingdom, my ways, my wallet, my phone, my home to God's phone, God's wallet, God's house, God's everything, right? And I'm starting to go, this is God's kingdom. I'm going to do his will, his way. I'm going to be caught up in what he's all about. Sometimes Paul refers to the good news as a dynamic event that takes place. Um, the exercise of God's power for, um, for human and cosmic res- restoration. And when I read this, I was like, whoa, that's a big deal. So like, not just restoring us as human beings, but all of creation. And that's where you start to see kind of like a, a mandate to be part of restoring all of creation, not just me and my community, but all things, right? Um, and so um, it goes on talking about this like repentance idea that it's this idea of change, this idea of shift going from one direction into another. And uh, we see this idea that it's good news, right? Because he says, repent and believe the good news, not the somewhat okay news or the like kind of crappy news or like some news that God's going to force upon you kind of news. It's good news. And when he talks about good news, um, we can get all into like the the Greek. Um, It's like where the word evangelism comes from. Um, I think it's euangelion. And it's basically this idea that... um, there's a message. Actually, the emperors at that time used this term that when they were born and when they were doing their thing, like the good news was that you follow the emperor in his ways. And it's kind of counterculture for Mark and for other people to use these terms and the disciples to use this because it was kind of like saying, yeah, this is the real good news. Like you can say you can be part of the emperor and what he's doing, but we're going to use this term and say, no, you want the good news? This is the good news. This is the gospel. The true good message is found in repenting, changing your ways, and being part of this kingdom of God, being part of his ways and his way of doing things. And so, the good news is good. If you want to write that down, if you want to memorize that, I know it's simple, but let me, let me describe what I mean by that. The good news is good. Um, I... Let me, let me tell it in the context of a conversation I had with somebody this week. So I help out with a dive club. I'm on a board of a dive club where we go spearfishing and we teach people how to spearfish. Chris just joined recently. Um, maybe I'm making more converts to a dive club than the church. I don't know. But um, the, uh, um, we get together once a month and we just talk about spearfishing. We teach people safety when it comes to spearfishing because that's a big thing. Um, we teach them how to sustainably spearfish because... I just saw a picture of a guy at the harbor the other day shooting small fish that were illegal, and I'm like, this is not good. We need to educate people, right? Like, don't do that. Um, and then we we'd basically just, like, we teach people etiquette and that kind of stuff. And so um, through this dive club, I really get to know a lot of people in the community, and I love that space because um, it's weird how God's just worked this out, but uh, a neighbor of mine lets me use his boat whenever I want, like one of those dream situations. And so I get not only to meet new people, but then to take them on someone else's boat, I don't even have to pay for it. I just help them with some like gas and oil changes and stuff and, uh, and, and just hang out with these people, right? And so this last week, this guy from Jamaica comes into town 
joins our club, and he's like, hey, is anybody going out? I'm only going to be here for a week. I want to get out and, and go spearfish. And so I'm like, come on, let's go. Um, so he hops on the boat with me, and we spent the day shooting tuna, all right? I don't know if you're anti-shooting tuna, but we got some tuna, and it was delicious, and I got him on his first tuna. He'd never seen tuna in his life, um, and uh, he's been spearfishing all of his life, but got him in the water, and he got his limit of tuna, which is unreal. Like, nobody does that. I shot my first limit of tuna this week, which it, it's mind-blowing, but um, so he dives in and sees, like, he's, like, vortexed by hundreds of tuna, and he's just mind-blown, right? The whole day, he's, like, on cloud nine, like, I can't believe this is happening, like, you've taken me on the boat and all this stuff. I'm like, it's not my boat. But like just beautiful things, the way God brings us all together. And so we, we're sitting there the next morning. We got up early and flayed all this fish. And when you flay fish, it takes a little while. But you sit around, and you have these conversations. And one of the conversations that happened was, which is inevitable every time I'm hanging with people, is like, what do you do for work, right? So where does it go? Like, oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, really? And so it's either, oh, really? Or, oh, really? Tell me more, you know? Um, and, and so we got into some awesome conversation about his faith. And he started, like, talking about how he grew up Catholic and Jewish and just all the beautiful nuances of what that looked like. And, um, and I got to learn about his family and his faith. And, and inevitably, we got to this place of where he starts asking me questions about my faith and how that started. And so I started asking him some questions as well. And we got to this place where we both agreed that what the church has done throughout history and what you see sometimes when you see the church modeled in poor ways um, keeps people away, right? And he says that he would identify as Buddhist, and he'll probably listen to this podcast, so it's awesome. His name's Kainan, awesome dude. And he shared with me that his concerns were sometimes the church isn't reflecting the good news, the goodness of what he sees in Jesus. Because he's like, I love Jesus. I think Jesus is amazing. But what I see in all these other things doesn't really line up, right? The corruption, right? The leadership that takes advantage of its role and power and manipulates people in certain ways, right? Um, there's all kinds of ways that I think the church gets a bad rap and makes Jesus look bad because people have taken power and allowed them to be corrupted in some ways, either financially. You, there's a, the list goes on. We don't need to get all into that. Um, I would encourage you that if you are interested in hearing about that in a very productive kind of conversation, um, I've been listening to this podcast uh, that's, that's just been, I think, kind of helpful, but uh, look up The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. You can check that out. Um, and you can see the conversation about this guy, Mark Driscoll. Um, but what it does beautifully is it doesn't point the finger at him and why he's so wrong, but it begins to point the finger at all of us and him and everybody in the church and goes, what are we doing wrong? Like, what, like why is this message being distorted and not good news to people anymore? Like, why has it lost its power? And so this conversation that I had with Kainan was beautiful because it was this reminder, and he, and he fully agreed. He was like, like, what you're, because I started to share, like, what we're about as a church, like, what we're about loving one another, caring for one another, like, caring in our community, beginning to work, which Jamaica is right next to Haiti. We do a lot of work in Haiti, and so he was like, oh, like, I have friends that are involved there. And, and so we had all these commonalities that were like, these are all things we're all passionate about, except we're just not, 
like denominationally tied or whatever it was, right? And so he began to see that, and I began to see that as well, and I was reminded of why we do what we do as a church and why we as GP have this mission to say, like, we want to be core to the kingdom of God and not our own identity. It's not about Nate. It's not about Chris. It's not about leaders. It's about Jesus and centering around him and his word and his teachings. And, um, and it's just, there, there's something beautiful that happens when we really get to the bottom of that that really starts to unpack the good news is good. It's good. It's meant to be good. It's meant to be something that people go, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Like when I hear what Jesus is about, that's amazing. That's beautiful, right? He's transforming lives. Like he's healing people. He's got this message that teaches us to live freely and lightly, right? That we don't stress and get worked up about finances and things that maybe don't matter as much, right? They're, they're important, but they're not core to life. That as we begin to live into the kingdom of God, we begin to find this way of living that is good. And that's why I keep saying that word good. And that's why I think that the message that Jesus brings in this thesis statement that he says is so powerful. And it's what I want to close with is this idea of good news. Is what we're proclaiming good news? We have an opportunity every single day. When you guys leave here in a conversation with people in this room, with your neighbors, with your friends, with whoever you grab lunch with, whatever, you're going to have opportunities to share good news. The message of the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's around us. And the only way it's tangible, well, I don't say the only way because the Holy Spirit works in mysterious ways, but one of the major ways that it's tangible is through you and I and how we treat one another and how we go and, and use God's resources to be a blessing to others. Use God's phone, God's wallet, God's whatever, like body, physical, whatever. Like all of those things can be used to be a message of the good news um, that we live into. And when Jesus came, he said, I came to bring life to the full, abundant life. And in John 10.10, 10, in the very first part of that verse, he says, the thief comes to steal and destroy. That's the other path that people will take, where you'll be convinced that this destructive pattern is somehow good for you, that there's these worldly things that are somehow going to be good and like make you feel complete and content and happy and will somehow transform your community. But Ultimately, Jesus is that way, the, the good news that we see in Jesus. And that's what we're going to see as we unpack the gospel of Mark. As we start to go into these next chapters, we'll start to see Jesus tangibly living out the kingdom of God and living out this good news and being this kind of community that's unique, that's set apart, that's different, but centered around the good news, the gospel. So I want to just end with that question. Are we bringing good news to the people around us? Um, I'm not going to give you like five points of how to do that. I think we know how to do that. I think we know how to love people, right? Um, it's just, it's just we got to surrender our hearts to that Holy Spirit and say like, God, what do you want me to do right now? Like, how do you want me to interact with this person in this moment? How do you want me to treat my family members this week? Um, there's challenges that I face just like you and I, just, uh, just like you do um, throughout the week in, in how I begin to approach relationships with patience, with kindness, with respect, right? All these different things that we all know. Um, but we're tempted just to fall into the other path, the other ways, rather than the gospel and the beautiful good news of Jesus. So let me pray over us and uh, invite the Holy Spirit just to, to take us into wherever he takes us this week uh, that we might live this out. So Jesus, 
Thank you for um, these gospel writers, uh, these disciples, these followers of you, Jesus, that, um, that give us these words of life, these words of truth that help shape us. And so um, help us to recognize what is truth, what is good, and what is uh, distracting, what is um, not productive, uh, what, what the message is of this world that just seems to distract us and pull us away from you, Jesus. Help us to discern between the two this week as we go into relationships. Help us to bring the good news into the conversations that we live into, um, that you've brought us into, the blessing of being um, a reflection of you, Jesus. Um, we know that's humbling and it's crazy that you work through us, but Lord, we, we invite your Holy Spirit to, um, to lead us. And so we pray this in your name. Amen. So we close with this blessing that we, uh, that we read, and uh, I'll just read it over you. And it's just a reminder that we want to read every week to continually center around so that we don't get distracted by other things. But this is how we go out. So rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, that he's guiding and protecting us. Let's share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day. And as we live into that, we'll start to see it and it'll become a reality. So, um, yeah. Grace and peace as you guys live into that.